Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And this is the podcast where every week we review a classic pro wrestling weekly TV show. And that classic pro wrestling weekly TV show could be from pretty much anything throughout the entire history of pro wrestling, which if you've been listening to this season of this podcast, you definitely know that well because we've run the gamut through the decades, through the continents, through the states, the territories, the countries, all of the above. Uh, and this week's show, Jeremy, we're hitting a territory that is near and dear to my other podcast partner's heart. Uh, this is Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. That's right. And a quick quick aside before we get into this show, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Let's uh, For those new listeners to the, to the program, how this works is we didn't just choose to watch Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling which is something we absolutely would choose if we were in control. Without however, a doubt. However, we are not. We've scoured the internet and we've dumped thousands and thousands of, of hours of content. We dumped all those titles into the randomizer and we fire up the randomizer and it, like the title says, at random, picks a show for us to watch. Season one was big main pay-per-views, large events. You can go back and listen in the archives. Those shows are just as fresh as the day we put them out. And season two, it's all weekly TV shows. So yeah, this is this is how the show works. It's just randomly chosen, and we've been randomly assigned to watch Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling from November 3rd, 1984. A little bit about Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling from... Dick Bourne, and David Chappelle. Uh, by January 1974, Jim Crockett Promotions, now led by Jim Crockett Jr., had effectively switched all references to the promotion to be the name Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. The main television show now bore that name, as opposed to its earlier designations as either All-Star Wrestling or Championship Wrestling. Because there weren't enough territories using all-star wrestling, as we've learned on this podcast in this season. Also significant is that the promotion's regional titles were renamed the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight and Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Championships. During the last months of 1973, from their previous designations of Eastern Heavyweight and Atlantic Coast Tag Team, respectively. In December of 1986, the Mid-Atlantic heavyweight title was vacated for good, and the television show that was Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling would be renamed NWA Pro Wrestling. Jim Crockett Promotions at that point had begun expanding nationally to compete with Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation, and there was no longer a regional component or reference to the Mid-Atlantic area. So two years before the territory was brought into just the national promotion, uh, this was 1984 here, so two years prior, we've got the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling TV show. We get a funky intro. Good music, <laughs> good start. We sure, we sure do. We should also mention that if you're interested in hearing a previous podcast from the two of us, about Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, go back to the uh, 
uh, the show in season one with the Boogie Jam, uh, the NWA Mid-Atlantic Boogie Jam show main evented by a Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat match a little bit earlier in 1984. Absolutely. I've uh, One of my favorite shows that we watched was the Boogie Out- Jam. <laughs> Outside of those weird random camera angles. Remember that? Those fir- <laughs> especially in the first few matches where it just felt like it was on some uh, timed camera switching and uh, that really made no sense. And some of the camera angles are just horrendous. Thankfully here on this show, as we're going to talk about much more of a polished television production, uh, very different though. And I'll definitely have some thoughts on this very different from a lot of the weekly TV that was uh, more studio generated as this is in an actual proper arena of sorts. Right. But it tried to have its cake and eat it yes. too, where it would have the matches were in an arena setting, but it had the the feeling of the studio area where they were doing interviews, promos, and, and et cetera. So yes, with the with the backdrop, but without a desk. No desk. Interesting. No desk, but the uh, the step and repeat sort of backdrop, uh, the classic NWA Mid Atlantic backdrop, uh, and our host. Our commentator, really the only voice we hear other than the wrestlers, uh, with one exception and a few points uh, throughout the show, is the great Bob Caudle. The second I heard his voice, I knew I was in for an enjoyable hour of pro wrestling television. As was I, but I, not being an avid watcher of Mid-Atlantic, I I wasn't sure that uh, Bob Caudle was up for carrying the whole show. Because, you know, I know him from when he would be, you know, Jim Ross's partner on the big shows. In his later years, you in know, his later years. seven, eight years later. Uh, so, yeah, understandable. You may have thought that he uh, he wasn't up for the task, but I thought we'll get through, get to it. I thought he was fantastic here. Absolutely. Uh, particularly given the format of the show, which will obviously reveal itself as we go along and reviewing it. Very interview heavy, very... Uh, guiding you through storylines heavy, and Bob Caudill is so great at that. So after our funky intro, we are going right to the ring. That's one of the themes of this show is uh, no real entrances. No, the guys no are music. just in the ring, ready to go. Yes, competitors in the ring, ready to wrestle. And the two competitors in this match are Dennis Brown, or as I knew him, Denny Brown, and Mark Fleming, uh, two men who... Physically uh, and even facially do not look entirely dissimilar from each other. But Denny Brown is the much more pushed wrestler of the two uh, and clearly the better of the two. And Bob Caudle mentions early on that Denny is the number one contender to the junior heavyweight championship. Yeah, I don't know him as well as you, so I'll call him Dennis. Uh, all all Dennis Brown early, Matt wrestling, some drop Some great kicks. arm drags. It's a couple arm drags. A sequence that leads to another arm drag. Uh, And this is, again, where I note Bob Caudill already is amazing here. I just love that voice. Uh, The other thing that I note as they're jockeying for position early is that the the selections, the choices of where to place the cameras uh, and the way the show is mic'd, they do a great job of capturing the feel of an arena show, even though this is a TV taping. They've got... The hard cam, there's ringside cameras, and then they have this sort of, it's very steady, but it's a roving camera shot that is basically in the ringside area. Like at some points, it'll be on one side of the ring, five or six rows back, then maybe later in the show, it'll be on a different side of the ring. 
maybe 10 rows back, but it really gives you a sense here in this. Uh, I mean, it's not like it's a giant arena. It feels like it's a, you know, an oversized gym or a civic center, but it, it actually looks and feels more like the type of building you would go to to watch pro wrestling when it came to your town rather than a TV studio. Yeah, so after an arm bar, he hits a flying forearm and a backdrop, rolls him up with a cradle, hooking the hands, getting the pin. Dennis Brown's your victor. Yep, the Oklahoma roll for Denny Brown, as I'll call him, gets the win. And apparently, again, it's kind of a theme throughout so many of these these shows of like junior heavyweight championships existing or being talked about existing, but them really not either being a focal point or existing at all. I, I don't recall exactly what the uh, what the status was of the junior heavyweight title here in Mid-Atlantic at this point. Maybe my longtime close personal friend, Mike Sempervivi, uh, the purveyor of the Mid-Atlantic podcast, uh, would be able to uh, answer that question. But in any event, yes, that's the match. And then we go to the aforementioned interview area. No desk, as we said. But the NWA Mid-Atlantic backdrop behind Bob Cottle and his interviewees, the new World Tag Team Champions, Dusty Rhodes and the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. And uh, I'm sure you have thoughts or clips or both here from Dusty and Manny. I will have some thoughts as well. Uh, it's not quite uh, Ric Flair and Jesse Barr, uh, but... My God, you've got Dusty Rhodes and then you've got Manny Fernandez trying so hard to kind of do a Dusty Rhodes promo, but one man is doing it and one man is not. No, and we're recapped seeing how they won the titles by defeating. We're recapped. Dusty, who is in fact one half of the tag team champions, an active wrestler. Dusty is already in full commentator mode. He comes out, he's talking about unity, the American way. We came together to beat Ivan Koloff and Don Kernoodle, uh, which, again, it's about 50-50 as to whether anyone in any territory on these shows ever gets the name Kernoodle or, or Kernoodle right. Here they say Kernoodle, but then Dusty throws it to the video of himself and Manny Fernandez winning the tag titles. A true pro here, a true broadcast professional. <laughs> yeah, they, they show a replay of the win in the cage match and we we joined the cage match highlights with Manny Fernandez doing a splash off the top of the cage absolutely spectacular from Manny Fernandez who would have thought and Dusty Rhodes and not one for hyperbole wink wink says quote Manny Fernandez went 40 to 50 feet (laughs) off the top of the cage so uh yeah he also said and i quote we've been heavily lacerated which is not uh, an accurate statement not inaccurate i should say they were both heavily lacerated he also talks about and does narration over their big double team move a uh, a football double football style tackle double running shoulder block that is called apparently the thundering herd stampede that's right they do that to carnoodle the ref gets knocked down by Carnoodle falling backward onto him. Nikita Koloff from the outside of the ring tosses a foreign object into the ring. We can't see which foreign object it is, by the way, because this, uh, this recap, this video footage is from a major arena show, which only just has the hard camera. So we can just see something get thrown in the ring. We don't know what it is. Carnoodle's got it. 
He nails Fernandez. He misses Dusty. Dusty then with a bionic elbow, grabs the weapon, nails Ivan Koloff. Fernandez falls on top for the three count. Well, he nails Ivan Koloff as Ivan has Manny Fernandez in the Cobra clutch. So as he hits him with the object, Ivan releases, uh, relinquishes the hold. Manny, who is already going out from the Cobra clutch, falls on top of Ivan. Uh, the referee counts three, gets the win. And the highlight of this is Dusty Rhodes going nuts on commentary over his own win. Uh, it's just highly entertaining. Uh, and I write, and again, I say this as someone who is a fan of Manny Fernandez, actually met him not that long ago, a couple of years ago at a Black Label Pro show where he wrestled Ethan Page, I believe. Uh, but uh, Dusty Rhodes should always talk. Mandy Fernandez, Manny Fernandez, excuse me, should talk a lot less. That was my takeaway from this promo. The bionic elbow on his noggin right here. You see Manny Fernandez, the raging bull, hurt inside the ring right there, going into the Cobra, got the clutch on him right there. Dusty Rhodes in Mac Dream with a big wall of boom, baby. Boom, baby. Out go the light. One, two, three. You're looking at it right there. You're going to see the victorious. Look at the people. Look at the stairs. Look at the tremendous. Look at that thong of people going crazy for the world. Tag team champion, the new champion, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Dusty Rhodes. We're going to defend these titles throughout this world. Like I say, between now and Starcade, I'm going just as heavy as always. Right here tells it all. This the scene here, Bob Cowell, that tells it all. The changing of the guard. The changing of the guard. The new world tag team champion. We're ready for anybody at any time. But we'll get more. Oh, we will. later. We will. And he tries (laughs) even harder to be Dusty Rhodes later in the hour. The show goes to its first commercial. <laughs> I know where you're going with this because you sent me a uh, a text screen cap of this, and I was highly entertained. You watched the show about a day before I did, after the after the randomizer pulled it. <laughs> yeah, so the it goes to commercial. We get just a graphic saying, you know, we'll you know more wrestling action, whatever. But the the way that it, the way that this graphic had every single font ever. I, I, I <laughs> believe I texted you with a caption of, uh, it's as if the graphics department was like, no, we can totally get every font into this graphic. <laughs> and mission was accomplished. Yes, it's uh, it's similar to like when clip art first came out. And it's like, we can put that on everything. Let's fill our GeoCities site with, uh, <laughs> with clip art. That was kind of what the, uh, what the effect was here as they were telling us that after the break, the Long Riders will be in action. And they, in oh. fact, are the Long Riders are the team of Black Bart and here the Cowboy, rather than as he would be known in the WWF as the Outlaw. It's Ron Bass. So Ron Bass and Black Bart are known as the Long Riders, and they are managed by J.J. Dillon. <laughs> I was yeah. I was not expecting JJ Dillon to manage these guys. No, I had no recollection of JJ Dillon being a part of this act, but my God, was he needed? Was he effective here? <laughs> of course, uh, yeah. These two men needed a touch of class, a touch of respectability, a touch of something interesting. And JJ Dillon brought all of those things. Their opponents, <laughs> a man named Tommy Lane, sure. who just had a very generic uh, jobber look. And his partner, Bret Hart? 
what? I have a bunch of question marks, and the camera is far away. This man is not facing the camera as he's it's, introduced. I'm squinting, never, trying to say, no, can't he be. He never faces the camera. We never get a close-up. The entire match is from the hard camera. He's on the apron for 98% of the match with his back to the camera. He is a man that is about Bret Hart's height. He is not, I mean, he's not in completely different shape than Bret Hart. He has relatively short, but not completely short, curly black hair. He gets in. He does nothing. There's nothing about him that screams he moves like Bret Hart. No. But, and I'm sure this isn't him. It can't be. There's no way. This was so weird. (laughs) But it had me on the edge of my seat. Oh, yeah. Trying to identify the man standing on the apron because... He was not in this match to begin. The The match started with Bart uh, and Tommy Lane. We Bart- should mention, by the way, the Long Riders are the tag team champions of the Mid-Atlantic Territory here on this day in 1984. Again, That's as you mentioned, the match starts with... Well, the, the NWA, just to be clear, the NWA World Tag Team Champions were Dusty Rhodes and Manny Fernandez. Yes, the we Long Riders that. are the Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champions, so champions and- of the territory here. <laughs> There has never been a greater example of when you're the champions of the world, that spans the breadth of all talent across the globe. When you're the champions of the Mid-Atlantic Territory, you are the champions spanning the talent all across a couple of states. Correct. And we can see the difference here. Uh, It funneled down into uh, just the territory. Ron Bass and Black Bart are, uh, they would be, wonderful tag team champions in Smoky Mountain or Continental. So Bart gets caught with a dropkick by Tommy Lane. He was surprised, quickly tries to beat Lane down, but Lane comes off the ropes with a cross body. Bart almost caught him, but then slowly falls to the mat. (laughs) I loved that. That may have been my favorite non-top rope cross body spot that I've ever seen in pro wrestling because he lands the crossbody, and then Black Bart is basically an oak tree with arms as he slowly struggles and falls to the mat. Uh, it just, it looked great. Yep. Uh, it may be the first thing I've ever seen Black Bart do that I enjoyed. This I didn't enjoy. He tagged in Ron Bass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and shockingly, Ron Bass came in, and what did this man do? This man who I believe we saw on one of the MSG shows. We certainly saw him on that, that primetime wrestling show yes. that had like Ugh. four jobber versus jobber matches. Uh, here he comes in and his first offense is an eye rake. It was, and I was, irate. I was too until lane hits bass with a hip toss. And yes. I have nothing but time for jobbers beating up the long riders. I am enjoying yes. Tommy Lane beating up Bart and now Bass. This is great. Yes, Tommy Lane is somehow the star of this jobber team <laughs> when the man he is teamed with is named Brett Hart. <laughs> so so Bass ends up throwing Lane into Bart's knee as he's on the apron, sticking his knee into the ring. Tags Bart in, drops him onto the top rope for a clothesline, neck breaker. Yeah, the old hot shot. Then he actually hits a very nice swinging neck breaker that I would say was about an 11 on the, uh, on the shake rattle and roll scale. And then hits a nice leg drop. Black Bart actually in ring does not look 
anywhere near as bad as I expected him to. And if that sounds like I'm damning him with faint praise, I am. Yeah, well, that ends because Bass is back in. <laughs> Double team elbow. Bass only gets a two count. Lane kicked out, and that got a yes. pop from my couch. I was very excited. Lane kicked you out. You thought the upset could happen. You <laughs> thought you might be looking at a one, two, three kid Razor Ramon situation here for uh, Tommy Lane. After Lane kicked out, he makes the, the dive, the valiant dive to his corner and tags in Bret Hart. Bass immediately cuts him off. Power yeah, slam, runs. three count. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Bret Hart, the mid-Atlantic version uh, of Bret Hart, runs directly into a boot <laughs> while Ron Bass is in the corner. Ron Bass hits a running power slam for the win. File that move away later. Uh, we like to talk about moves of a show or moves of a territory. Just file that away. Uh, as Ron Bass pins this man, I just write in all caps, I don't think that was really Bret Hart losing to Ron Bass. I'm fairly confident in my opinion here. No, and and Lane had to be on the apron going, "What the hell? I yeah. was doing fine. You're in two. In se- you're in two seconds. Bret Hart. <laughs> Just yeah. Ruined two seconds. My match. Get power slammed and beaten. Tommy Lane. I I, I would have been. He had to been livid here. Bass- Should have gone all the way up north to uh, to Madison Square Garden and picked a fight with a Bret Hart. So. So Ron Bass is one of the guys where it's like, hey, maybe I didn't appreciate him as a child. Maybe you think he might be a he really was good and I didn't realize it. You thought he might be filed in the Nick Bockwinkle or Ernie Ladd or yes. Dick Slater bin that we've opened and uh, and organized throughout two seasons of this podcast. Uh, turns out, no, he's as horrible as I decided he was as a child. So and I am even still here in, not a fan of Ron Bass. Even here in 1984, a couple years, quite a few years earlier than the other shows that we've seen him on. Uh, well, I guess maybe earlier and later. Either way, yeah, he's... He's, he's in the, the best shape we've seen Ron Bass. Yes, that does not translate to anything he does being no. any more impressive, but he's he physically looks a little bit better. He's he is a guy. He again, as we've talked about with certain guys in different territories and different uh, promotions that when you see them being pushed, it says more or it, it implies more about the quality of the rest of the talents in the promotion than it does about how good that guy is, uh, which is weird because Mid-Atlantic is not hurting for guys. No, but they just decide to give it a go here with the long riders and uh and yeah, it's not the last we'll see of them either. Dick Slater joins Bob Cottle for an interview. Does he ever? <laughs> a man who creates controversy. Bob Cottle introduces him Introduces him as. This is just a few short months after we see him, or after we saw him on that, uh, uh, on that Mid-South show, correct? Or was that later? Was that 1985 or 1984? That was uh, 85. Was okay, so this is before. This is just before then. In any event, uh, the idea here is that Dick Slater has returned to Mid-Atlantic from elsewhere. The most noteworthy thing here is he walks on the screen. Fashion corner. Dick Slater, maybe the most well-dressed man I've seen this season. He is wearing an awesome blue and white tracksuit. It is not what I would expect Dick Slater to wear, but he is owning it. He looks fantastic. And the first thing he says uh, when Bob Caldwell questions him, he says, what do you think? The wind just blew me in? Great line. 
And then he talks about where he goes, trouble follows, and he is just, we've talked about it before, an awesome, unstable, uh, grizzled, mean, scary dude. Uh, when you talked about, uh, you know, was Ron Bass a guy that, uh, that we, we missed when we were younger and we're learning that he's great here? Dick Slater is that guy. We've he talked is. about it before. Mm-hmm. A guy who you kind of just thought, oh, old, you know, old guy, maybe he's okay, but it's nothing special, dime a dozen. Man, this podcast has, ta- has taught us that he is anything but dime a dozen. Yeah, he says, when I'm around, there's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of things happening. And Tully Blanchard comes in, interrupting yes. Slater's promo. Slater keeps trying to do his interview, ignoring Blanchard. And Blanchard's trying to talk over him, ends up shoving him a little to get his attention. And Slater is just tired of Tully taking well, his interview stewing. time. You can see him stewing as Tully keeps trying to do his promo. Uh, Tully says, it's both of our time. I've got half the time. And you see Slater kind of take a step away and he's shaking his head. You could just see him. He's uh, the frustration is building. Yes. It was like, uh, it's like when my children, one of my children's trying to tell me a story <laughs> and the other one comes in and tries to talk over them and tell me a completely separate story. That is exactly what Tully was doing <laughs> to Dick Slater here. Uh, yeah. So Slater was tired of Tully taking his interview time and he slaps Tully and walks off. Great. He stuff. slaps, he slaps him. He tells him to shut up and he walks off. Uh, Tully was trying to spit out something about that. He has $10,000 that Brian Adidas, or as he's called here in mid Atlantic, Brian Adidas uh, stole his money. Uh, but yes, Tully gets slapped by Dick Slater told to shut up. And then the next thing we see before we go to commercial uh, very quickly is images of police officers shepherding shopping carts full of money through a vault. Stacks of money coming out of the bank. Yeah. I I think this is the $10,000. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is relating to what Tolly was talking about. Oh no, this is a million dollars for the (laughs) million dollar challenge on Thanksgiving coming up. Ric Flair, the champion of the world against Dusty Rhodes at Starcade. We're told about Starcade and this million dollar challenge for the heavyweight championship that they will have three judges, boxer Smokin' Joe Frazier. Who will also serve as the referee for the match. So that's <laughs> would an athletic commission sanction a referee slash judge? That would be if you're a UFC fan, like uh let's say it's Randy Couture versus Chuck Liddell back in the glory days. And Big John McCarthy is not only a ref, but he is one of the three judges scoring the fight at the same time. We're also told there'll be a Japanese guy to be named later. Yes. <laughs> a race car driver named Kyle Petty. Oh my God. So I freaked out here in my childhood, in my prior life, I was a massive NASCAR fan. My life revolved around two things as as a child, wrestling and racing. And Richard Petty, uh, the most legendary NASCAR driver of all time, was my hero. And his son, Kyle Petty, was my other hero. Uh, I dressed up as Richard Petty for Halloween. I owned many a die-cast car of these two men. I had completely forgotten about Kyle Petty being one of the three judges. I was so excited here. Uh, Blast of nostalgia. We see Kyle Petty at the racetrack uh, cutting a promo 
obviously reading from cue cards, talking about how excited he was uh, to be one of the three judges for this match at the Greensboro Coliseum. Uh, and then we, uh, we go back to Bob Caudle, and he tells us about some upcoming matches. I well, believe he, these are matches that are going to be on Starcade. Yeah, he runs down the rest of the Starcade card. <laughs> There's two matches in particular, though, that stand out to me as not particularly Starcade worthy. We have a tuxedo street fight between number one Paul Jones, who we've talked about a few times on this podcast, how he may be the worst manager of all time, at huh, least of the, classic days. The Grand Wizard would like to throw a <laughs> word with you here. Yeah. <laughs> and his opponent, the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant. I assume that would go on after uh, the world title match, as that's what happens as it with did Rick Boogie Jam. Exactly. And Ric Flair <laughs> main events, a major card for a world title. You have to follow it with a, a, a Boogie Woogie Man match. So I assume that will happen. The other match they talk about bob caudle tells us it is the american starship and a man named buzz avalanche tyler taking on a team called the zambui express and superstar billy graham in a six-man slam challenge match where the way to win is to slam your opponent Oh, how the mighty have fallen, superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I guess maybe he lost here, and then that's what sent him packing back to the WWF to the desert for him to cut that promo on Wrestling Challenge in 1986. <laughs> but it be. The best part about this is that Bob Cottle, with all the enthusiasm in the world, and I mean that sincerely, he is the most earnest, enthusiastic, friendly man you've ever seen on a pro wrestling show, says, and I quote, Yes, friends. All of that and more. After commercial, we get Dick Slater versus Gary Royal. Amateur wrestling to open the match. I can't believe you are not noting that these two men were wearing the exact same shade of blue. Oh, uh, we'll get there because I have Dick, other. <laughs> Dick Slater, and I know where you're going as well with that, but Dick Slater uh, in is only can be described as Cubby Blue if you're a Chicago Cubs fan. Cubby Blue uh, trunks, the same blue trunks that he wore when he wrestled Greg Valentine at Boogie Jam when they were wearing identical gear. But that here, I was re- outraged. That that I had no time for. Uh, go back to the Boogie Jam show to listen to me not only complain <laughs> about matching gear when when your opponents you just just. What are you wearing tonight? What color? I will wear something different. Done. Maybe the idea is to apply that, you know, these guys obviously don't talk to each other. If they did, they would have uh, they would have coordinated the gear situation better. It's just a, a terrible, uh, terrible coincidence. And and we almost made it through a podcast without mentioning Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> uh, Impossible. <laughs> uh, but Gary Royal here, at least, is wearing a singlet of sorts. He's just kind of a lumpy jelly bean of a man. Uh, and yeah, Dick Slater starts with a drop, toe hold, a, a scramble. And I just note again that Dick Slater, he's so great and weird with the way he moves. And the more and more I see him, the less and less uh, that I think of him as like a, uh, like, a, a, like a cheap copy of Terry Funk, which I believe the first time we saw him on this uh, 
uh, in season one of the podcast. And I had mentioned that was always kind of my thought of him as a kid. Uh, he's his own dude here. And he just, again, just so cool the way he moves around the ring. Yeah, Slater pushes him into the corner, but doesn't punch him. We get a clean break. So this is, uh, we've talked about miscast babyface Dick Slater before. This is, uh, th- this is a, an okay babyface version exactly. of Dick Slater. Well, because he's edgier. It's not like he decided to become like WWF hacksaw Jim Duggan. Like we saw him as the rebel Dick Slater, where he was just this do-gooder. Here he's... He's an untrustworthy, bad dude, but he, you know, he has a few moments of not being completely reprehensible. And, you know, it just may, as we'll see later on in the show, it just so happens that, you know, he might end up hating other heels as much as he hates baby faces. After some shots by Royal, Slater hits an elbow and a brain buster. Oh my God, (laughs) that brain buster. Oh, that was not... That was terrifying. He picks him up for a vertical suplex. And then he, uh, you know, I I did not realize that Tomohiro Ishii was probably a Dick Slater fan, but that's the only thing I can take from this. Right on his head. absolutely drops this man on his dome. This is a Shinya Hashimoto on Nobuhiko Takata brain buster. If you listen to our Patreon podcast, you know what we're talking about. He murders him with this. Somehow, Gary Royal... Gets his foot on the ropes. He got his foot on the ropes. I think, you know, Bob Cottle was even horrified by this brain buster. (laughs) And even more surprised that Royal did get his foot on the ropes. Royal then sends Slater into the ropes, puts his head down for a backdrop. But Slater drives an elbow into the man's spine, which is way cooler than just kicking the guy like everyone else does. Yes, we've talked about that before. I think even on one of his appearances as the Rebel Dick Slater, I think it was in that that tag match where he was teaming with Lenny Poffo opposite <laughs> the Dream Team where we had that flurry uh, with him and Greg the Hammer Valentine calling back to their Mid-Atlantic cage match where he did that move there. And yes, absolutely. It's, it's for my money, uh, the best counter to a back body drop and he does it better than anyone else. I just have to go back though just in your description, you didn't leave anything out. Dick Slater murdered this man with a brain buster. Gary Royal gets his foot on the ropes. They get up and Gary Royal is the man doing a move to Dick Slater fighting spirit here from Gary Royal as He attempted to Irish whip Dick Slater and go for a backdrop. Dick Slater, uh, unpredictable as he is hits the elbow goes to the, or, or yeah, goes to the top then. And hits a top rope elbow smash to the head, goes for the cover, gets it, gets the three count. And then because he's Dick Slater and he's crazy, he goes to cover him again after the three count. He doesn't hit him. He doesn't try to hurt him again. He just wants to pin the man. No, great stuff from Dick Slater. Enjoying every minute of it. The the opposite of Ron Bass. We In every conceivable way. <laughs> we see a graphic that says, Buzz Tyler is coming up, or I'm sorry, Buzz Tyler is coming up. Yes, okay. that's the man that we were told earlier would be teaming with American Starship to take on the Zambui Express and Superstar Graham at Starcade. Yes, this is the Avalanche we will see uh, in a minute. Uh, <laughs> after commercial, the Long Riders and JJ Dillon join Bob for an interview. JJ Dillon is fantastic here. 
He says, Starcade is getting close. The intensity in all of the arenas is getting stronger and stronger. He then congratulates Dusty Rhodes and Manny Fernandez on winning the tag titles, but it's clearly a, uh, uh, it's a backhanded compliment. Uh, he says the now, long riders. Wait, a second. Will- wait, wait. Now I want to interview. I want to interrupt here to set the scene. Now when he's, you know, sarcastically congratulating the new world tag team champions, uh, the, the long riders are standing there in their belts. They have the mid Atlantic championship belts on. And <laughs> those belts are so small. <laughs> they, they are tiny. They, I wanted to like pat them on the head and like tuck them in the, and, and Bass has another title on his, uh, on his shoulder there. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? JJ tells us that Bass is the mid Atlantic champion. He's the champion of the territory. Yes. Ron Bass is the mid Atlantic heavyweight champion and one half of the mid Atlantic tag team champions. None of those belts are impressive looking at all. Again, the tag titles, only way I can describe them is they are smaller than the original AEW Women's Championship, which is saying something. Then the uh, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight title is just this mess of plates everywhere <laughs> that look very thin, very cardboard. I can't even tell if they're attached to leather or if they're just connected by magnets. It kind of uh, has it kind of has like a a boxing championship vibe to it. It has a boxing championship made by your second grader for a presentation I, if you are a boxer and your second grader takes you to school for show and tell. I I yeah, I I like the I like the idea. I don't oh, know yes. if, I don't know because it you know the plates have the different states that make up the mid-Atlantic territory like okay, like I, I like I, it's got the center. I I I want to like it, and I think I like it. But you're you're selling me on maybe I don't like it. But I, well, I maybe think if I do. you like it so much, you can abandon you can abandon your uh, your never ending quest to own the NWA World Television Title, the late '80s uh, title, Ring and you can, used you late can instead, '80s NWA Television Championship. Maybe yes. uh, through the reach of this podcast, you can get a hold of Outlaw Ron Bass. <laughs> And you can buy outright the Mid-Atlantic Championship off of him since you like it so much. I mean, he might also have the teeny tiny tag titles in his pocket. <laughs> Those I have no interest in. I have no no interest in the Mid-Atlantic tag titles. No, thank you. Uh, but back to the interview now. We know that uh, JJ tells us that uh, he recaps the the long riders resumes here. They want a match at Starcade, or as JJ calls it, Turkey Night. Yes. Uh, Bart says that everyone's too scared to, to wrestle them. And he has Bart's cutting the promo. They just cut him off and go to commercial, which I howled yes. with laughter. Uh, well, there's a few other notes of this promo. Ron Bass, I actually did enjoy where he's like, we're hungry. We're going to prove it to someone on Turkey night. We want the money. I, I was amused there. Then, as you said, Bart is screaming about everyone is scared. And then as he he calls out quote all the geeks over there he fade to black he actually said all the geeks over there that that uh, made me howl with laughter we go to commercial we come back and bob Cottle is joined by ivan koloff nikita koloff and david crockett the man that if you are a fan of jim crockett promotions oh, i love if you're david a- crockett See, david crockett for me is like the Dick Slater of announcers. When I 
as a kid would hear him. And then even years later, when I went back and watched him, it took me a long time to not hate having him on there because while he's great at reacting, like when there's something crazy happening, he just screams and he's upset. He has the weirdest cadence, the most difficult to follow manner of speaking of any wrestling announcer I've ever heard. Uh, he stumbles over his words quite a bit. Uh, it's, I, know, it's all, I it's don't all very earnest. But I don't mind. No, I, I don't mind David Crockett stumbling over his words when he's so excited about something yes. or something so crazy that, like, yeah, he just can't get the words out because he's just so excited. He's he's the he's all of the fans put together into into one person with a well, microphone. That's that's fine. But when he's cutting, when he's talking or cutting a promo, and it's very quiet and measured, and he he has the same issues. <laughs> it's troubling it's difficult and that was the case here well here it was it was weird because it was serious david yes. crockett right so like david crockett is the you know he's always he he's only serious whenever he's serious it's because he's outraged by an angle by uh, something that's or, happening in real time in front of him right and and so but he's still like got the energy level of the reaction of a david crockett here no he is Serious all business, like sent by his his brother Jim Crockett Jr. to come lay down the law, recap what happened here, and give some news. And so he was he was all serious here. So it was a completely different David Crockett than I was used to. Yes, he has a great line too. Where like they're trying to get over the uh, the heinous act. They're trying to really put over how uh, how bad this was. And the way David Crockett does that is just by saying a very good athlete was injured. And I'm wondering, like, are we about to see an attack or just an accident? What is about to happen? Uh, but they roll the tape and it starts where what we saw earlier ended. And it is Ivan and Nikita Koloff in the cage with Don Kernodal after Ivan and Kernodal had just lost the tag titles and they attacked Don Kernodal. They clothesline him with a chain. Nikita holds him as Ivan comes off the top with the chain. The geeks try to come in and help, but they 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 can't stop him. They do it again, trying to break Carnotal's neck with the chain. He and then we we hear he's a failure. He's a loser. Russia's number one. Ivan was tremendous here. He says, "In Russia, we send mistakes to Siberia." In America, we send mistakes out of wrestling. And then he goes on this whole rant about how, like, the weekend before their big title match, Don Kernoodle, as he calls him, was at the lake with his girlfriend. He was not testing for films. Direct yeah, oh, they were They were offended that he was out on a boat having a good time. <laughs> they, yes. They wanted him to test for films. Which, uh, clearly, as he kept trying to spit this out, what he was trying to communicate was that he was not watching tape and training for this match, but the exact quote was testing for films. Then Nikita jumps in, oh. and my note is Nikita Kolos, fake Russian accent. Horrible. Nowhere near as good as Ivan's here. He should have just gone Crusher Khrushchev, Barry Darso, and just not done it. No, Nikita cuts a horrible promo. Now look at Supreme Team in wrestling today. No tag team combination can beat Uncle Ivan and Nikita Kolov. 
Russian bear, Russian nightmare, medical dream, raging ball. How you say, go down, Canodo, only example what happened to American, to all wrestlers who get in our way. Destruction, destroy, one by one, recrash. David Crockett has more. They did more to Don Carnodal. Yeah, there's a dramatic pause, and he says, that's not all of it. And then he goes on and tells us how uh, uh, how Don is one of us, quote-unquote. By that, I mean, I guess they're saying American. Uh, he says, despite what you think of him. And then they roll the tape. Don Carnodal out cold in the ring. Uh, the, uh, the EMTs uh, the- are checking on him. Or the ETMs as David stammers and stumbles out. Uh, he then says, I don't understand what gets into people like the Koloffs. They're different. You don't say. Carnotal's still down in the ring and his parents are brought into the ring to check on him. Yes, they uh, they say that his parents are at every match in Greensboro supporting him. And now they have to see this. So, so his parents are there. They're all distraught. He's not moving. This is a, it's a terrible scene. As we now cut back to action in the ring. Speaking of terrible scenes, Buzz the ring. Avalanche Tyler versus Joel Eaton. Did I get that right? Joel Deaton, who Deaton? I actually have okay. notes on. I remember Joel Deaton. Uh, but yeah, Buzz Avalanche Tyler. It's not quite Mark the Beast Goulin, but it's pretty close in that if you have in your mind, if you close your eyes and you think, what would a Buzz Avalanche Tyler look like? It's not going to be like this guy. He's short. He's not gigantic, but he's not in great shape. And he wears long black trunks that say Avalanche on the side. And he just has a normal dude haircut and kind of a small beard. Yeah, no, he's... uh, He's got almost Conrad Thompson vibes. He's uh, <laughs> yes, that's actually a very good comp. A very good, uh, yeah. It's all avalanche here with a power slam and a quick win. A running power slam for a quick win. That is the second one here uh, on the very short and very few matches we've had so far uh, on this show. Second time for a win there. I remember Joel Deaton in a couple ways. First. He was the tag team partner of a guy named Billy Black, who, if you remember in the after mags, was getting a ton of press. Uh, They were basically calling Billy Black the American Jushin Liger. He was a high flyer, and he he was a favorite of those magazines. Uh, Also, if you watch all Japan tapes uh, from the 90s, Joel Deaton had quite a few tours, uh, basically as a, a Western jobber foreigner i believe he teamed i've definitely seen him or seen him team excuse me with stan hansen and lose never really got much of a push but he uh he at least was a little bit more featured than he was here in this absolute destruction at the hands of buzz tyler in like a, like five seconds so like oh. that, that's we we didn't leave anything out here that was that was it no the, yeah, the bell rang buzz tyler picked him up power slammed him and that was it. There was nothing else to this match. Dusty Rhodes is back for another promo. 
out there in television land. I want Ric Flair to listen to this statement. I'm making to him right now out there. I want him to listen and listen good. You walked away from it, played your song, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. Oh Lord, and walked away from it, got in your Cadillac, your fancy, fancy hat, your fancy coat, and left me standing there without me finishing talking to you about it. So now then, I want you live on the air. I want a confrontation with you. I want to see your training schedule. I want to see your workout schedule. I want to see what you're doing between now and then. You see what I'm doing, baby. There ain't no doubt about it. There ain't nothing a doubt about what I'm doing right now. So you get yourself ready live here on TV. The people want to see us together. I was talking to you. You walk from it. Played your music. I'm standing there holding the bag. So now then, Bob Cowell, let me tell you one time, Ric Flair, the American dream, won't you right here live and in color on this TV, face to face, nose to nose, and let me hear what you got to say because it's coming, whether you like it or not. Duke City, Ric Flair, where's Ric Flair? I want Ric Flair out here live and in color. I want it face to face. You see what I'm doing. I want to know what you're doing. That way, I can plan how to spend my money. He wants a confrontation before the match on TV with Ric Flair. Yeah, apparently they had a confrontation in recent weeks and Flair just walked out in the middle of Dusty cutting a promo on him, meaning just left, which is hilarious. Uh, He wants a live confrontation on air. He wants Flair's workout and training schedule. Uh, He uh, he says, where's Ric Flair? You see what I'm doing? I want to know what you're doing. That way I I can plan how to spend my money. Well, speaking of workout schedules. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is one of my favorite things I've seen uh, in, in, in this season of, of Wrestling at Random. J.J. Dillon is in front of Steamboat's Mid-Atlantic Gym with Deli and Juice Bar. Now, <laughs> yes. the gym That is what it bar. says on the wall outside of the gym that J.J. Dillon is standing. And by the way, J.J. Dillon, since they're going to the gym... He is wearing a gray and red Adidas track jacket, half unzipped, disgustingly. J.J. <laughs> uh, Dillon also, he's a man, he's one of those guys that he hit a certain age, like he hit looking 50 years old at like 35 years old, and then kept looking that way for the rest of his life. Even like in a, a relatively recent appearance on national television on TNT, he didn't look that different than he does here in 1984. It's it's amazing. We we call it JJ Dillon syndrome when yes. you look like you look the same age your entire life. Um, so yeah, he's standing in front of this Steamboat's Mid Atlantic Gym, the Gym Juice Bar, still thriving in 2021, but the Gym Deli has fallen out of favor. We don't really <laughs> see those much. Anymore. No, there's the the nutrition and I guess uh, the food that you would eat at a gym has changed a little bit. Uh, the way you re- get your carbs, get your protein uh, before and after working out is a little bit different. But JJ says that he's on the hunt for a training site for the long riders leading up to Starcade and perhaps beyond. And then in a very quiet and sober tone says that he thinks the long riders will be here soon. And then he says, ah, I think I hear them coming now. Yeah. So they pull up in their 80s. Fast car here, yeah, very big, tiny nice. car with big dudes in it, which made me chuckle. Uh, when <laughs> yes, a two blue, big guys come out of this tiny car. A blue Corvette, basically the same shade of blue as Dick Slater and Gary Royal were wearing earlier. So, 
they come to check out the facilities and they're not wearing cowboy gear. They're wearing no. 80s tracksuits. How no. are they not in cowboy gear all the time? I was so <laughs> mad. Oh, I was hoping for cowboy or 80s tracksuits, but then with you know the the pants tucked into cowboy boots <laughs> yeah. and a cowboy hat. We did not get that mashup. Uh, Ron Bass is not happy when he sees that it's Steamboat's gym. J.J. Dillon says uh, that Steamboat is retired. Uh, and then Bart says, oh, so it's like we're helping out an ex-wrestler old-timer. And they all have a chuckle before they head in. Yeah, Bass was all the fans here when he, he yes. basically just said, not Ricky Steamboat's. <laughs> and yeah, no, J.J. says he's practically retired. Inside, they go and working the desk is to greet the long riders and JJ Dillon is Vic Steamboat, <laughs> legit brother of Ricky Steamboat. He's working the desk. This made me so happy. Go back and listen to our world class 1987 episode of the podcast, that episode of TV from World Class that we reviewed where we talked about at length Vic Steamboat marveled over the fact that he was not in fact just a fake uh, terrible knockoff brother of Ricky Steamboat, but is the legit shoot brother of Ricky Steamboat. And yes, here he is working the desk at his brother's gym. And oh man, you'll describe the scene we both will. But as bad as we've said that uh, Ricky Steamboat was as the NWA authority figure <laughs> on TNA Wrestling, uh, on the two episodes we've reviewed, both uh, weekly pay-per-view seven and eight, one here on the free feed, one on our Patreon feed. Vic Steamboat makes Ricky Steamboat look like an Oscar-level actor uh, as far as talking. He is so bad here. Oh, yeah, negative charisma. Just no acting ability whatsoever. But it adds a little bit of charm to the scene. Oh, it scene. does. It absolutely uh, does. Bart likes vitamins and he starts filling his bag with vitamins off the shelf they grab t-shirts that are supposed to be for everyone who comes in they just start taking them all jj's looking at the trophies and he says rick steamboat mr hawaii and he's holding the trophy as bass tosses jj an apple and jj catches it but as he does he drops the trophy it breaks on the floor. And Vic, this is where his bad acting comes into play, runs <laughs> over, tells us that that's the first trophy Ricky Steamboat had ever won. And JJ says, send me the bill. And they start walking away. And, and Bass, is, Bass is appalled. Are you really going to pay for that? And he says, I said, send me the bill. I didn't say I'd pay for it. And all the bad guys chuckle as they, they walk into the gym. This scene was fantastic. It absolutely was. Just so over the top and ridiculous. But uh, JJ, Bass, and Bart were just the perfect, just no redeeming values human beings uh, that you would want them to be here. Uh, we then cut to the health bar in Delhi. The Delhi. <laughs> they... Uh, it's such a great combination, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, they grab some eggs out of the refrigerator. Black Bart starts juggling the eggs. No. First. No, he took two eggs, and two eggs is not juggling. It's passing from one hand to the next. <laughs> well, I was about to describe that. Yes. In his mind, he's juggling, but he has two eggs, which basically means he's making an exchange yes. hand-to-hand 
egg to egg over and over again, but then decides to up the ante and go into real juggling by adding a third egg. That doesn't work out so well. The eggs fall to the floor. They just sort of shrug and say, eh, it's time to work out out. and leave. And then the old deli health bar (laughs) counter guy comes over and he is just appalled as he surveys the floor uh, below him. We cut back to the arena where J.J. Dillon is livid that they showed that tape. He is yes, he's so mad. He's screaming. He says, you don't have the authority to show this tape. He's angry. I'm angry, too, because I wanted to see more uh, of the, uh, the adventures here at Steamboat's Gym. Uh, I, I wanted hope- I, I see I wanted to know I, I wanted to go back and keep watching because I wanted to see Ricky Steamboat's reaction to to seeing this video i was i I, i'm hooked as a weekly viewer now for uh mid-atlantic yeah so this is uh this might even be better than fuji vice (laughs) yeah Uh, this is great it's uh it's good stuff though we then go to the ring and because everybody on the show has to appear at least three times it's ivan and nikita koloff in the ring for a wrestling match as they take on the duo of Gene Ligon and Mike Fever. And the notes here from a fashion standpoint, you have four men of similar size. Ivan and Ivan and Nikita are definitely bigger, but you have four men who are all wearing the exact same style singlet. Ligon and Fever are wearing black singlets. Ivan and Nikita are wearing very dark blue singlets. No, there. This was multiple. You enjoy times. that. This was multiple times on this show where the gear is too close, opponents for for opponents to be wearing. It, this is this is something that is a pet peeve of mine, and it should be easy to clear up. Uh, let's. But they couldn't even, you know, make sure that uh, we didn't have too many power slam finishes. So they sure aren't checking to make sure that uh, the gear isn't uh, matching for everybody. Ivan starts out by throwing Ligon chest first into the ropes. <laughs> so when you whip a guy into the ropes, you know, you usually go kind of off your, your side holding the, the rope there and bounce off. But uh, no, he went chest first into the rope. Yes, he basically off, took takes the a bump. Bret, he took the Bret Hart corner bump, the Bret Hart turnbuckle bump, but into the ropes. Nikita's in with Mike Fever. By the way, the real Bret Hart bump, not the Bret Hart we saw earlier. <laughs> Nikita goes right to a choke and just like drives choke, him down. Like a choke clothesline. I thought he was going to go for the Russian sickle, but instead it's a double-handed choke, and then he just rides the guy all the way down, which actually was pretty cool. He then hits a hot shot because that's another one that you have to hit, I guess, no matter who you are, if you're the non-jobber in a match here in Mid-Atlantic this week. In the corner, tags Ivan in. He goes to the top rope using the knee to the back to drive Fever face-first to the mat, gets the three count in quick fashion. Yes, that move that we've talked about before, the uh, the finisher of Richard Morton after he made the turn and became uh, one of the computerized men of the 90s with Alexandra York and the York Foundation, also a staple of Hiroshi Tenzan. But here, yes, that like riding knee drop to the back of the head off the top rope by Ivan Koloff gets the oh, win. We also saw, didn't we see uh, in the Legends match at Slamboree? We yes, saw, uh, Dick Murdoch. Dick Murdoch do that move in terrifying fashion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so strangely enough, that move has found its way to uh, 
to this podcast many times through many different men. And I think each time we've been like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize I didn't remember that guy did that move. Uh, so that is that. We then get a graphic for the TV title match coming up next after the break. Before the match, we get an interview with Brian Adidas, like the tracksuits, like the shoes. Uh, Brian Adidas and Manny Fernandez. Adidas cuts a promo about the Rhodes Flair match, and <laughs> they do talk. not need you to cut promos on their behalf, Mr. Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely good point. Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> they've got most it. Most likely. They've got it under control. They can probably hype up this NWA world title million dollar challenge match. Maybe the two greatest promos in the history of pro wrestling. Undoubtedly the two greatest promos of 1984. Brian Adidas here, though, is helping push this over the finish line. Yeah, I was on the fence. I was on the fence until I heard Brian Adidas's take on it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get it now. That was all I needed to hear. Exactly. Brian Adidas, by the way, who is... Seconds away from wrestling for the TV title. He's not concerned about that, though. He wants to tell the fans about Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. He says that he's glad he's going to be there because it's going to be the biggest event in sports history. We then have Manny Fernandez cutting a promo, which I believe uh, at this point, the only reason Brian Adidas cut a promo was so that Manny's would sound better somehow. Uh, He says Dusty could kick back, but knows no slack going to be a lot of shaking and quaking going on and this is where i noted he's trying so hard to be dusty on the promos but he's only getting like one third of the way there no i feel like dusty told manny before this promo like i dare you to go out there and do a dusty Rhodes impression (laughs) i dare you and and manny was like i don't really do a good dusty Rhodes. maybe i shouldn't do a dusty Rhodes impersonation on tv and he's like no no you can do it go ahead and do it and this is what we got he said a bunch of stuff he'll be at starcade it was it was not good yes this definitely felt like a backstage rib that made it to air (laughs) uh for sure Uh, It was not good, but it entertained me uh, for the reasons you just described. Uh, We then are back with Bob Caudill again, and he's with David Crockett and the Russians again. And we go to footage from Greensboro again. There's more footage that we have not seen yet. (laughs) Yes, uh, we are continuing to unspool uh, the threads, the yarns uh, of this tag title switch that took place. Now we see footage of the ropes being taken down, a stretcher being brought into the ring to take down the addled, prone uh, Don Carnoodle as his parents are still worried. Uh, And we have Ivan uh, in real time cutting a promo over this, making fun of Don Carnoodle's parents saying, we don't cry uh, because we don't have losers in Russia. (laughs) I... I love when they take the ropes down to make room for the stretcher. I think that's such an awesome touch. It's not like like passing the guy under the bottom rope. It's it, it makes it a lot more dramatic. I thought that was fantastic. But they still had the cage up, which I was amused by. It's still like, going to okay, have to go through the this, door. Yeah, <laughs> This man may in fact be dead or near death, and we need to get to him quickly. But let's take the ropes that are inside of the cage down, but let's leave the cage up and make sure there's just that small opening for them to get through. Uh, But at least the EMTs or ETMs, as David Crockett would call them, uh, were there rather than just having like the Sergeant Slaughters of the world act as uh, paramedics. Uh, So, yeah, they did a did a good job really, really getting across 
the gravity of the situation and setting up the former uh, Russian sympathizer, friend of Ivan Koloff and tag partner of Ivan Koloff to come back uh, as a, uh, a conquering American. No, the return of Don Carnotal has to be amazing after yes. how much they put how how much they put into this and how serious they treated it. This was uh, this was fantastic. I, I I would love to see his return and as the the fighting babyface American. This would be against the Russians. I, I again I'm a weekly viewer now of uh, <laughs> uh, of of this show. At the end of the footage, we cut back to the Russians and Nikita is flexing, and man. He was such an impressive looking oh, dude. Nikita he Koloff was, is he he's like Goldberg of the times. I was literally about to say the same exact thing. I was going to say if you are not familiar with Nikita Koloff, particularly 1984, just imagine Goldberg in a singlet and that gets you there as far as the uh, the look and the physically impressive nature. Uh, he's much more effective at flexing than he is at talking and Ivan Koloff is great at talking uh, in his own way here. So that is the formula they should stick with. Uh, but yeah, after that, we go to the ring where we see Tully Blanchard already in the ring in his magenta tights with the World Television Championship. And then here comes his opponent, Brian Adidas slash Adidas in the exact same gear. Oh my gosh! Seriously, I I cannot stand it. Quick fashion corner, okay? You know, both we we've talked about this already, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it now. The, both men are wearing dark red short trunks. Come on, like, well, and they also have they're physically very similar. White dudes of same height, similar build. Uh, totally Blanchard, a little hairier chested, but otherwise that's it. Oh, this is this is one of this is. One of my pet peeves of wrestling. The you could, you know, I, I'll be, I'll let it slide when one guy's got a singlet, one guy's got short trunks. Not here. Same red, dark red shade short trunks. This is ridiculous. This is unacceptable. I will, uh, I will forgive Tully Blanchard in particular, though, because this moment, what happens at the beginning of this match, I loved it so much that I created the GIF. Uh, for this week's podcast. If you follow us on Twitter, you've seen it already. So Tully gets introduced, as we I said. I love got... this. I can't, I'm sorry. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> he has the TV title. Brian Adias comes charging full steam into the ring. As he gets through the ropes, Tully Blanchard casually takes off the TV title. As Brian Adias is in the ring now and charges towards Tully, he just casually, again, whacks him in the leg with the belt as Adias is lunging toward him. I was howling with laughter. I had to, as I've had to only a few times throughout both seasons of this podcast, I had to pause this because I was laughing so hard. I rewound I it multiple it times. <laughs> and clearly, I wanted to watch it on a loop over and over again if I created a GIF accomplishing that exact thing of this moment. So great. Yes, I'm glad we both re rewound it because that's the first thing I did after I watched that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so great. <laughs> he whipped him right into the knee with the belt and I've rewound it. Watch it again. Adidas just full steam ahead, charging as hard as he can and Blanchard just totally nonchalant about it. Takes his belt off and whips him with it and this is how the match starts. The best part about this is I don't know that I've ever seen 
in just a span of a couple seconds, a better distillation of who the star and who the jobber is <laughs> yes. in a match than that moment. And again, if for some reason you do not follow us on Twitter or Instagram, go on social media, particularly on Twitter, go to at wrestle random. Uh, it's not wrestling at random. It's at wrestle at random on Twitter and find the post from, uh, from recently and see this and watch it over and over again. It will bring you as much joy as it brought us. I personally guarantee it. So Adidas is holding his knee and they then both men just start trading punches. Adidas knocks Tully down with an elbow and a shoulder block, but Tully sidesteps Adidas and uses his own momentum to throw him into the turnbuckles. We should, by the way, we have not mentioned this. We've talked about Brian Adidas slash Adidas, but you may recall that name may sound familiar to you. If you go back and watch world-class championship wrestling or go back and listen to the podcast where we watched world-class championship wrestling from 1987 uh, and reviewed it, Brian Adidas was like in the depleted dark days of world-class the top heel that the Von Erichs, that Kevin Von Erich was going after, uh, he was even less physically impressive than he looked here with his leopard print pants. Uh, he uh, He's much more suited here to be a jobber against Tilly Blanchard than he was to be one of two heels that a promotion was revolving around just three years later. Dick Slater has joined the commentary uh, with, with Bob Cottle. Tully starts the beatdown. Going back to work on the leg. We hear a lot of people would beat up their grandma for $10,000. <laughs> yes, I, I wrote that down all caps as well. Dick Slater, uh, tremendous here uh, on the call. Just being Dick Slater. Suplex by Tully. We can't tell if Adidas kicked out or Tully picked him up. Yeah, neither can Bob Cottle. He's very upset at the possibility that this happened. Uh, and my my note there is, my God, Bob Cottle would not have survived All-Star <laughs> Wrestling in 1982 no. if he couldn't handle this maybe lift up. He, uh, he wouldn't have made it through that show that we reviewed. Tully puts on a half crab on the bad leg. Slater makes his way to the ring. Well, he does. First, Brian Adias actually does a great job selling that he's in excruciating pain here in this half crab after getting whipped in the knee. With the title belt, negative two seconds into the match, uh, Dick Slater says, this is getting too far-fetched, is the exact quote, and says he needs to go down to ringside, and he does exactly that. So he's he's standing at ringside. He throws a towel into the ring. Match yes. is over. Tully wins. Still to- TV champion. The towel that he's had around his neck all, all show. Uh, he's still wearing the sweet blue tracksuit, by the way. He throws the towel in, and Tommy Young, as you said, rules that Tully is the winner. I don't get it, though. Was Dick Slater the recognized second for uh, for <laughs> Brian Adias? I don't think so. No, so... Like if a fan brought a towel and threw it in? Throw... It's. Uh, I think everybody was okay with this uh, <laughs> Yeah, Yes, I'm putting too much thought into this. <laughs> so, yeah, the match is over. Tully's still the TV champion. Tully then... He goes off the top when Slater turned his back and he hits Slater from behind with the elbow. The exact same top rope elbow smash that Dick Slater used earlier to win his match. They start fighting and Slater starts a comeback, throws Tully outside. This was an awesome brawl here. Slater's throwing his awesome wild left and right hand windmill punches. 
Uh, they're fighting on the floor. Crowd's going crazy. Tully Blanchard uh, retreats. Uh, After an atomic room. drop on the outside. <laughs> yes, then he fantastic. runs away. <laughs> I, I will say that like an atomic drop on the outside, that's another one of those moves like locking on a, a figure four on the floor. Uh, that It would not make it hurt anymore, but for some reason, because you did it on the floor, it does. Uh, but yes, great brawl. Uh, and then, uh, Slater goes to the, uh, goes back to the interview area as you do and, uh, cuts a promo on Tully Blanchard. You got a big mouth, Tully Blanchard. I told you I was here to pick a fight, didn't I? You did. And I picked one, didn't I? And I'll probably going to pick a lot more too, before it's all over with. Hey, Blanchard, I don't like you running your mouth. Don't you ever put your hands on me again. Because remember this, you can knock me down, but there ain't no damn building anywhere or anybody that's gonna keep me from coming up and it's gonna be able to hold me and you in that ring. All right, fans, boy, what a wild, wild finish that is as Brian Adidas is being helped and carried out of the ring. Tully, Blanchard, and Dick Slater. It all started right here, and that's going to wrap it up for this week. Yeah, he cuts a promo. He wants Tully Blanchard. Bob Cottle says that's all for this week as the show goes quickly off the air. I loved Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. This was my first time watching a full episode of Mid-Atlantic. We watched you know, the Boogie Jam show. That was great as a... Uh, you know, a fun house show, major event feel. But uh, for a weekly TV show, I thought the production was top-notch for this time period. For, you know, 1984, it looked just as good as shows that we were looking at, you know, it compared to other shows that were out in 85, this is significantly yeah. better. Um, so, no, a- absolutely a great production. I The... The matches themselves, you know, oh, they the, were nothing. The squashes were so short. You know, I like a good, you know, I like a good squash. These ones seemed, you know, a little rushed. Uh, the jobbers weren't as comically horrible. We love our jobbers, you know, with ill-fitting gear and untrained. So yeah, these, these guys, guys were they were too competent, and they, they looked were. like they owned their own gear. So two strikes. Yeah. So so. Those are those are things that I didn't care for. I, I would have liked you know a little little longer, but I I think that the way that they caught you up on all of the angles, we knew all the champions, and we had, uh, you know, the, this was the big news, the big angle. This is the stuff we're building around. We we knew everything that was going on with the Russians, everything that was going on with the Long Riders, and uh, starting a feud with Steamboat for the Mid-Atlantic title. All great stuff. Easy to follow, easy to jump in. We parachuted into this, and I was caught up, and and I was ready to watch again next week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, To me, a few things set this apart from uh, the other territory shows that we've watched. One, which I mentioned earlier, was I love that this was in an actual arena versus the TV studio. There's a charm to the TV studio for sure, but this just had... Uh, it had more life and felt more like an actual wrestling event, even though you just had very short squash matches. Uh, that was tremendous. 
and then as you said the format of the show uh the way they got everyone carry uh, you know got everyone caught up was was very well done to me this was I would say of the territory shows that we've watched as far as weekly TV, it's right there with that championship wrestling from Florida show. Yeah. And I think the one the, this, even though the matches weren't quite as good, uh, this was better. And I think maybe it was just circumstantial because it was building to a show that we would actually be able to watch. If we were wa- going back and watching this in, in weekly fashion, we've talked about before one of the frustrations of going back and watching almost any territory is they're building to the major arena cards that while it's great for the people in real time that would be able to go to those shows, if you're going back years later and watching, you're never going to get to see those. Those don't really exist anywhere in full. You would maybe see clips on the next week's show. This was building to Starcade 1984, major event that, you know, in different ways, shapes and forms, a lot of people could see and you could go back and watch now. So I think that helped as well. Absolutely. So, so thumbs up if you want to uh, experience more Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Uh, your podcast partner on the Big Audio Nightmare, Mike Sempervivi, does a podcast covering uh, Mid-Atlantic, uh, the Mid-Atlantic pod. Go uh, subscribe to that and listen to that as well. Yep, and check out his Twitter account as well, the Mid-Atlantic pod Twitter account. Uh, daily great content there. If you're interested in Mid-Atlantic, you'll be able to get a lot more from there. As far as favorite things go, it's hard for me to ever not say Dusty Rhodes promo is my favorite thing on this show, but I'm actually going to go a different route. I think the best thing on this show was the J.J. Dillon and the Long Riders at yes, Steamboat's Gym. There's no doubt. That is the correct answer. Yeah, that, that, was, that was so much fun. Uh, what a great, great skit and great vignette. Absolutely. Uh, worst thing. The, wor- it- the worst thing was fake Bret Hart. <laughs> that, I, that, I, that is acceptable. Uh, I think it's Nikita Koloff's promos. Uh, that, that was pretty <laughs> it's terrible. Russian accent. Ron, having to watch Ron Bass. Having to watch. In the so... ring. He, he redeemed himself in the, uh, in the skit. He did. But boy, Ron Bass, yeah. You were, when he came in and did an eye rake, I'm just like, I almost turned off the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. PTSD from, yeah. from Ron Bass times fast. <laughs> All right, and uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up here. I do want to encourage everyone to interact with the show. Adam told you about the Twitter earlier, at Wrestle at Random. That's the best way to interact with the show. If you're not on social media, you can also interact with us via email, wrestling at random at gmail.com. And make sure that you, if you, if you want to hear bonus content, if you want more than just the weekly shows here, there's a whole other feed with hours and hours and hours of content you haven't heard yet. And so that's all via our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. You sign up. I'm going to send you some stickers. I'll send you a, uh, a early 90s WCW trading card. And you can get hours and hours and hours of bonus content. In addition, we have other tiers. You can sign up to be the randomizer. Yes, that is in fact true. And we've had quite a few people do that already. We have several... Uh, multiple regular subscribers, regular supporters at that level. And I would say probably at least a third, if not more, of the uh, the shows so far on the Patreon feed side are people who have chosen a show for us to watch. Sometimes it's because it's one of their favorite shows and they want to bestow us greatness to watch. 
there have been an occasion or two where people have gone the other route and had something they've watched that they thought was truly terrible and they wanted to hear what we thought of it and inflict that pain on us. In all seriousness, though, we welcome both. Great shows are awesome to watch. Terrible shows can be great to watch, particularly if we're paid to do so. Uh, so feel free to do either. Uh, we're happy and entertain all. Requests. That's right. And we also have a tier for T-shirts as well. These are very tasteful wrestling shirts. You can see Absolutely. Those. I always say they're T-shirts you could wear to a concert. Absolutely. Uh, a small venue at a dive bar. Uh, and really, I own a lot of wrestling T-shirts. The only one I would be caught dead in at a concert would be wrestling at random. And with that, if you can't support the show... Uh, financially via the Patreon. We get it uh, in these times. Not a problem. We can. We still need your support, though. Tell your wrestling fan friends about the show. That's the best way to help us out. Uh, subscribe to the show. Show your friends how to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your, your friends that used to be wrestling fans about the show. Maybe they want to take a trip down memory lane with us as well. Yeah, and make sure, in addition, to tell your former friends who you know are or were wrestling fans about the podcast. I mean, maybe it was a uh, Russians and Don Kernodal <laughs> type of breakup of your friendship. I hope that uh, you know, sending them the podcast can mend fences. I certainly hope they don't hit you with a chain. I hope ETMs and your parents don't have to come to your rescue after sharing the podcast with them. I think it'll turn out okay, though. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank Adam for joining us. Yes, thank you, Jeremy. Another territory to cross off the list thanks to the randomizer, and I would not be at all upset if the randomizer gives us another Mid-Atlantic episode down the line. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll talk to you again next time.